0: What do you think would happen if a challenged person who you love was not only seen, but appreciated, valued, encouraged? Think of how it could soften their demeanor, lift their spirits, and add some hope in their life. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 169, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Do you have a loved one who lives on the autism spectrum? Perhaps they have Asperger's or a form of autism that is quite severe, or perhaps so mild it's hard to tell they live on the spectrum. If this describes you, you have to listen to this show. You know that I always try to find child and adolescent experts around the country to help you be the parent you want to be. Well, today I have found a gem. This is a woman who not only knows a lot about the autism spectrum, she lives with it. Jennifer Winstole has a husband with Asperger's as well as two grown sons with it. And she knows her way around any form of autism. Jennifer's passionate about encouraging parents and loved ones of those on the autism spectrum. Finding that her young sons had it when they were very young and learning that her husband had Asperger's shortly after they were married, Jennifer faced challenges. Well, she met the challenges head on, learned as much as she could about Asperger's and is here today to teach us everything she knows about Asperger's. She knows what to do and what not to do. So let's jump right into my interview with Jennifer Winstow. Well, Jennifer, this is such a delight. I've been really looking forward to this interview. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for letting me speak with you, Meg, about one of my favorite subjects, if
0: not the most favorite subject, autism. Autism. You are really an expert at autism, not by profession, but by life experience. So we're going to talk about that today. You live with your husband and two grown boys who have autism. Going back to the very beginning, when you got married, did you know your husband had autism? Did you have any suspicion at all?
1: No, absolutely not. And it's funny to say um, that I'm an expert on autism or even for me to say that word with a happy voice. Because in the beginning, when I started to see some things that I questioned, and I actually came upon the diagnosis of Asperger's in those days or autism spectrum disorder, I felt so depleted. I had no idea. And I read this word and it just blew me away. So it's interesting that 20 some years later, I'm excited about what's happening with the world of autism and that I've been allowed to be on this journey and to see what can come of it. But no, in answer to your question, I didn't have any idea. My husband, I knew had some probably ADHD or ADD in those days, but um, autism wasn't a word that rolled off your tongue, at least not mine in those days. And my husband was in business and in a family business and successful, and yet there were things that just didn't connect some social awkwardness and um, executive functioning. He he didn't follow through on things. And I thought, oh, he's just distracted. But then when we had children, that's when actually the light bulb went off. And when I saw our kids hmm. younger and knew something else was going on, that's where the
0: whole family epiphany happened, um, what we were dealing with. So did you see, what was it about having kids that gave you that epiphany? Was it Um, symptoms you saw in in them, or was it something you saw in John and how he responded to the kids?
1: Both. Excellent uh, question. Mm -hmm. So um, Jacob, our youngest, um, I didn't really notice that much with Evan. He was verbal, but Jacob was very nonverbal, almost to the age of three. And um, both of them being young, you know, you don't think that... I had stepsons who were wonderful, and I'd been around lots of other kids, but in your own kids, you have a lot of grace for anything, whatever they do is cute, whatever they do is, you know, adorable. But my, in my heart, I knew something just was different. And so Jacob didn't talk a lot. Also, when they played, someone pulled me aside, one of the um, girls at a, at a daycare, we were where we were at, pulled me aside and said, you know, he's playing by himself 80% of the time, and Evan was doing the same thing. So there was some, into thyself, autism, into thyself, now that I look back, where they were in their own world. And so when Jacob was about three years old, I had him assessed. And John actually, John is so sweet and kind and and very innocent in a lot of his perspective of the world, thought I was overreacting, thought it wasn't necessary. But I think a mother's gut um, can lead Mm -hmm. you a lot of places that you wouldn't go, in fact, I heard at a recent right. autism event, they said the number one thing through a study that can make the difference in a child with autism's life is the role of the mother, how hard they fight, how hmm. hard they advocate for the child, how much they press through. You know, And I'm hearing this said about, about this man's wife, and I'm just weeping because when you have a child, I'm sure for a father too, but when you have a child, just from my own experience, your heart beats outside your body, as my mom says. You know, I would lay down my life for my children in an instant. So when I saw this happening, I knew it was more than just something small. My heart ached for my kids. So I started researching and went to this um, this group to get diagnosed for Jacob for ADHD. And and I can't remember if that time if they said autism, but shortly after, after we got the ADHD diagnosis, we went to school and we, when he got into the lower grades in elementary school, someone else pulled me aside. And said have you ever heard the term
0: Asperger's and I hadn't Mm -hmm. and at that point we hear it all the time now but you know for those of us who are a little more mature um when our kids were young we didn't hear about Asperger's you know we didn't know that much you know we just thought oh people are kind of awkward or, or you know socially awkward they like you said they have attention issues and so it's really remarkable looking back because your kids are in their 30s 28 30 now
1: 24 and 26 so yes this was a okay. cutting edge this was a cutting edge word that I had to go deeply in and research and find out and other teachers didn't know other parents didn't know or if you brought up something like this then you're child was odd. And I did not want my kids to be ostracized. I did not want them in special right. classes, if, if at all necessary, I wanted them to mainstream and experience the fullness of life. So I prayed a lot, I'll be honest. And um, mm-hmm. I got deeply entrenched in researching this and reaching out for people that did know what it was about. I tracked down a woman who was teaching on it, written a book, I hired her as my consultant and as my trainer, I was running a business. And I couldn't really confide in my husband in this that much because he really didn't understand it or um, connect with it. And I needed to know more before I could expand our universe of discussion in my family because I had three people in my family with this. And I knew it was happening. I knew when I read what it meant, you know, very high performing people of red, very strong regiment. Jacob would take 10 books to school. Evan would rebuild computers at the age of whatever, 8, 10, what, I mean, I could tell they were bright, but they didn't know how to relate to other people or they were very, very literal. And just the whole checklist, it was like, that's my family.
0: (laughs) Now, what do I do? Right. So by the time your kids were born, had John, your husband, been diagnosed with Asperger's?
1: No, he had been diagnosed with ADD um, and so attention deficit disorder. And they had said, but nothing came up like that. Um, Not in those days, like you said, in... In those days, it was just not a term that was introduced by any of the people we had gone to. And, you know, I would misunderstand John's executive functioning was very challenging. And I thought, how can somebody have a, you know, 140 IQ and not remember to pick up the kids? I mean, it led to significant challenges in our marriage. Um, But I also knew he was such a kind person, a good person. I knew that there was something else going on with his his neurological functioning that just wasn't matching up. I just didn't know what it was.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you give us some specific examples of what you mean by executive functioning? Because I, I think there's some people out there listening, maybe some wives who think, gee whiz, you know, I'm thinking about my husband. So can you give us some very specific things that you saw in John, particularly as far as executive functioning goes?
1: Yes, so executive functioning, um, following through on tasks, short-term memory, um, completing, linear functioning—any of those organizational things that you would think someone needs to get by—and he was very bright. Mm-hmm. He could explain, you know, quantum physics, string theory. You know, uh, he had such a high-performing brain, and he operated on so many different levels that I just thought when he would seriously forget the kids getting him on the, uh, you know, our child off the bus or um, say he was going to do something and not do it. And he would say, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next time. And and I mistook that. I misunderstood that for being insensitive to my needs. And as a young mother, mm-hmm. a working mother, and with all the other things that come along with that, I misunderstood that for being Neglectful or in you know unkind or insensitive, but deep down I knew he wasn't. Another example: um, I would get up every night with the kids when um, they would wake up in the night when they were infants, and I would ask him, "Will you get up?" And he'd he'd say something, and he you know disputed or whatever. I didn't find out till years later that he was never awake. He was so deeply in sleep, and I thought, "Oh, he's just being." selfish and I've got to stick this I mean we laughed about it the other day that he really was not alert. he had this sleeping issue as well. So there were all these other things that came along with Asperger's and I've talked a lot to other parents that a lot of these these other um, health or, or mental health issues come depression comes along with it quite often mm-hmm. um, you know social as you said social um, awkwardness, and so I just couldn't understand what was happening. And so when this diagnosis came through, I started realizing what those things were. It really was a is a deficit in executive functioning or organization, following through, not remembering mm-hmm. things. It mm-hmm. all was part of that family of challenges of what comes along with the
0: autism, as well as ADD or ADHD.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As a young uh, woman who's married. And you didn't know about Asperger's and you saw these things going on and you thought he was just choosing to do these. Was your marriage ever in jeopardy? Oh, <laughs> isn't everybody? <laughs> um, because because
1: yeah. um, oh, absolutely. And that's why I say by the grace of God, I, you know, I think when I meet some of the most amazing people in my life, that this is what I, I tend to see. Whatever hurts us, helps us. If you, if you look at it the right way, that our, our, our mess becomes our message, right? That I just had this strange feeling from God that it had to become personal for me to care. Would I be out there right now helping other people get jobs that are on the spectrum if I wouldn't have been wounded in my own life? Really, would I? Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I don't think I would. And I would have given up this opportunity to see what could have happened. But that that doesn't mean it was easy when it was happening. And I'm grateful we can talk about it now, 20 years later, after I've been through so much and I can see the light at the end of the tunnel or or farther down the road. But at that at that time, sure, I had two little kids. I had a husband on the spectrum uh, who didn't think he was on the spectrum and. That's why I brought in outside help to help me, to help me say, we can do this. Um, As an example, I always brought up my kids saying, when you grow up and have a job and you go to college and you do all these things, because I read how unlikely it is that kids would be successful or would be happy. They're a lot of times depressed with Asperger's if they don't understand or they feel like they don't fit in. So I told my kids right from the beginning, you have to go to college, you have to do this, this, this. And it was so funny Um, Just to jump ahead a little bit with Jacob at school, he asked a kid in high school, he said, where are you going to college? And then the young man said, well, I don't know if I am. And he said, you have a choice. (laughs) And I thought it was so funny because I, I never gave him a choice. And maybe that sounds controlling, but I wasn't trying to control him. I was trying to set a vision because so often people with autism, they don't have vision on their own. And so they need somebody to help them have a vision. So I wanted to set a vision for the kids. So back to our marriage, back to our marriage, and because I never answered that. So, um, so I decided, and John tells the story. He remembers when my heart changed, when I stopped pushing him and started understanding him. And you know, I'm I feel sad that I didn't understand him more sooner. But something happened in my heart and I really did pray for understanding that I would be more full of grace because I kept thinking I married this guy and I have this kid and he's from a successful business and everything's going to be okay, and I'll work hard. And then all of a sudden the company he worked for uh, transitioned. We went through a very devastating financial time and all of a sudden I had two little kids and a husband that was emotionally wounded from everything that happened was trying to figure out how to move forward. It was it was the deepest valley I've ever been through in my life. Mm. And Mm. I felt very alone. And yet um, I relied upon God and I got some major resources behind me, some people that had been through similar things with Asperger's kids or um, situations. And I I became determined to help them and to be a servant to them. Um, Temple Grandin is one of the greatest inspirations in my life. She is a woman on the spectrum who teaches all over the world. And at one of the speaking engagements, she said, don't expect them to come into your world. Go into theirs. Wow. And it just broke my heart. I realized I'd been trying to make my kids and my husband into what I wanted. I tried to make them into what I, a neurotypical, somebody that thinks this way and is linear and I'm very, you know, linear um type a all those mm-hmm. horrible things and i was trying to make them in to fit into my vision for the world and i realized i needed to go in and help them become what they wanted to be and what they were made to be instead of the other way around and that's when it changed and that's when our marriage got better and that's when my parenting got better and that's when i
0: got better <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I would think that emotionally, if this is too personal, I would think that when you had that shift in your thinking and in your heart, you must have felt a profound loneliness because you accepted the fact that emotionally there were things that John couldn't give you that other husbands could, like understanding and empathy and gee was you're tired, let's go do this. Or how did you handle that?
1: I do want to share because I want to help anyone I can I don't want them to go through any more pain than they do in this normal life without even without family just living is difficult right so I hope it's helpful so what I did is I Mm -hmm. drank in that deep grief um, by reading a couple books I read actually I started to read a book that said um, together Alone, I think it was called. And I got through the cover and cried my eyes out and never read the book, but I got what they were saying. <laughs> it was like us most, you know, I just took it in. I'm like, okay, we're together, but in certain things, I'm going to be alone. And I believe actually, I believe in all of our lives, I think it's unfair to expect a husband to be everything. I really do. I, I don't think any of us is fully satisfied by one person, um, not to mean you'd have multiple people like that, but friendships and God and family. And there there is a gift in knowing you. everything's not perfect. And so I drank in that things weren't gonna be perfect and that there was some work ahead of me, but I also believe that God had apportioned that work to me for some reason. I had to believe that, that there was some reason this was gonna help somebody else and there was some reason that I needed this exercise and this experience. And so it. I've, I've heard from other people, this has been very helpful, that people that I know that have had children with Down syndrome or other things, there's a poem, and I don't have it handy, but basically, you pack your bags for a trip, and you're going to this country, and you get off the plane, and you're in a totally different country, packed with the wrong things and the wrong everything, and your dreams are dashed, and The vacation you thought you were having is not that really helped me as well, because all of a sudden I got off the plane and I did have an adventure ahead of me, but it was not the adventure I dreamed about. It's not what I thought I had packed for, but I had a choice. Was I going to make it a good adventure or not? So I came to that point and I realized that I had the most wonderful husband. I just didn't understand him and he probably didn't understand me. Mm -hmm but we had these precious children and we had a covenant with God and a, a committed relationship and I needed to get on board. So I looked at myself and say, what can I do to be a helper to them and still find myself mm-hmm. to carry myself through with my own things so we could be a beautiful family together. So we are yeah. not a typical family. We are not, um, whatever a typical family is, I don't know these days, but we are not the standard family. We're a little bit odd, um, but we have a lot of grace. We have a lot of transparency with each other. And we have had a lot of laughs laughs over this because I chose to be transparent. I met with John, I met with the kids. You know, they were young, they didn't understand. But as they got older, we talked about this very openly because I knew it was gonna be a hard journey. I knew reading the things in school Um, I read one recently. The national average for people with Asperger's going to college is very high. It's 35%. Those that graduate that are unemployed, neurotypicals, is about 4%. So only 4% are unemployed. Those that graduate college with Asperger's, the unemployment rate is 85%. Why? Why? Because if they don't know what they have, if they don't know how they operate, or if they don't interview well, they don't get jobs. Also, um, some get overeducated. They don't have social skills that are commensurate with their academic skills. And then they come off as odd because you need to interview well. You need to connect with people. You need to connect with your your peers. So it's a I knew when the kids were younger, it was going to be complicated and that employment was going to be such a key factor because without purpose, without direction, without coworkers, without income, that just changes so many things. So I knew employment was going to be a big thing. So I started working with them when they were very young. They got jobs when they were 14. They managed their own money. I didn't care if they pushed carts or they worked at the lumber yard or whatever, but they needed to be with other people and they needed to work on their social skills and they needed to be more comfortable being uncomfortable and people needed to accept them where they were at. Mm -hmm.
0: So um, that became my focus through their life. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jennifer. I need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation. Friends, I am so excited to tell you about my brand new hot off the press course, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. I wrote the masterclass because after reading my Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters book, a lot of fathers wrote to me and said, I get how important I am, but what do I do? The masterclass is 20, short, online videos that dads can watch. They're quick and they're easy and they can learn specifically what they can do to improve their relationships with their daughters whether their daughters are 4 or 44. Check it out meekerparenting.com/strong. So let's continue with my interview with Jennifer Winslow. Let's talk about their school. Um, They went to first grade, third grade, fifth grade. What challenges did you see the boys have? And how was that challenging for you? How did you navigate those years? I would imagine it'd be very hard. It was uh,
1: a great opportunity to learn how to persevere and be optimistic and hopeful. Um, Because their school presents its own list of challenges, but with kids on the spectrum, it presents a whole nother menu of things. So kids can be unkind. Teachers can be either wonderful or they don't they don't seem to care. I remember a math teacher that told me that, you know, why couldn't one of my sons just be in a different math class? Because he had so many questions. Well they they have questions, you know, yes they were yes they had Asperger's, but you know, sometimes you have to accommodate those extra questions. So it, Whether it was teachers or kids, I just had to keep persevering through it, encouraging the kids at home, meeting with the teachers. If I met, I would encourage other parents, if you meet with the teachers, think about the teachers, they're tired. I would bring them a box lunch, nice sandwich, hopefully sit down with them, love on them, appreciate them for what they're going through, and then share what we were going through. I worked with several teachers to educate them on Asperger's. Mm -hmm. If they didn't know, I didn't get mad at them. I tried to help them. So it was continual adaptation through the whole process. I did get my kids test. Um, Jacob, I got tested and I got an IEP so we could get other resources. Um, Evan, we did, I knew he was very high functioning. I talked to the school and we actually got him in another curriculum. He wanted to learn Japanese. He didn't want to be in the high school setting um, and their normal curriculum. So I worked with the school to get him a whole different curriculum. He learned Japanese in the library. Um, he went to the tech group. He graduated early. Wow. It just, it was kind of like boot camp for every different season because you just had to go through some tough junctures and adaptations and trainings and, you know, stressful situations. But we just kept navigating. I worked with the teachers. If somebody bullied mm-hmm. one of the kids, we worked through that. Uh, Jacob got beat up in junior high. Um, so I met with the principal and I brought in a bullying expert. What did you do? Uh, I went to the principal and we met and Jacob said, when the boy was hitting him in the face, oh, I said, I, I said, Jacob, what's that scratch on your face? When he got home, he said, oh, that's where the boy scratched me on my face when he was beating me. And I said, what did you do? He said nothing. And so I went and met with the principal. And I actually um, brought in with her support, a bullying ex- expert to talk about the importance of accepting people where they're at. And it's interesting, you know, you think you bring in something like that for your own kid, to help him advocate and stand up. Mm-hmm. And these other kids came up and hugged the bullying expert, because they were being bullied for other things. So, Aww. you know, that yeah. continual yeah. pursuit of how can I help my kid? And how can I help other people? And how can I help the administrators that are struggling with this on a daily basis beyond what I can ever imagine? So looking back, those things that seem like challenges, they they always seem to bring fruit. They always seem to bring good things out of them as we struggle through those. And then I, you know, worked with Jacob. We went to dinner with the bullying expert. We talked about pressing beyond things, being open, being honest. If someone's hitting you in the face, say something. Um <laughs> We just kept working through it, being
0: transparent, learning, press on. Things have changed now. That was about 15, 20 years ago, probably 15. Talk to parents now about advocating for their kids educationally. You got the kids an IEP, but what Are there other options available now for parents when it comes to education? Because I know this is a real problem for parents. They wanna get their kids extra help other than an IEP, but they're not sure where to turn. So can you talk to that parent?
1: Yes, and there are so many more resources than there ever were. I'm in Michigan and my big go-to is the Autism Alliance of Michigan. Upbound at Work is the employment division of that, but there are resources similar to this across the United States. I think they're the most wonderful, but there are other great groups around the country because parents, grandparents, loved ones have stepped in and have brought this. There's TV shows, The Big Bang Theory. I mean, there's a lot of things that people are more familiar with autism, but there are groups that can come in and get involved right from the beginning. And to have the conversation with the child, the adult, the parent, the parent that doesn't want to talk about it, um, they can help them into that conversation and then get them the resources that are available in their community, online. There's so much more education. Um, An IEP or 504, any of those things that are available, I think are good. But one thing I found with the school system is they can only do so much. When your child graduates, you know, it was like, okay, they're gonna graduate. Here's your book of all your stuff, good luck. I didn't want that to happen. I knew that wasn't Mm -hmm. enough. These kids need help all the way through their life you know, in different levels, depending where they are on the spectrum. So I was determined to get as many resources on board. So it wasn't just high school and we were done. It was, okay, where are you going to college or where are you working? Where are you getting an internship? Um, I formed very close relationships with career counselors. Um, I developed a community steering committee, a neurodiversity employment committee to help other people in our community, to hire people on the spectrum, I speak on, you know, to radio, TV, whatever it is, I will get the word out. So I think parents around the country, wherever they're at, you know, bloom where you're planted. Find other people that care. Get with parents that are very positive and hopeful. Get with parents that have connections and rally those resources to help our kids, our grandkids, future kids that are out there. And then also one of the one of the groups I'm very passionate about, I've started working with some people that are older that didn't know they had Asperger's and some really beautiful things have happened because they kind of missed that window of knowing what it was. And now they're employed or or they're unemployed. And they're like, why is life not working out? And it's been a real blessing because once they know there's nothing wrong with them, it's not that there's something wrong with them. They're just different and there's a way to connect. And they're not unkind and they're not they're not selfish. They're just into themselves. Because that's the way their brain is made, but also, sixty percent I think it says of those on the spectrum operate higher than the average IQ. I mean, some of them are brilliant. Harvard Business Review says that these are the people that can take companies into the next, you know, next era. They're just they're unique thinkers. They have a delightful and valuable perspective. I have a gentleman working for me who's on the spectrum. is invaluable. And now he's speaking. He's going to speak with me next week to a group of professors actually from the school that he graduated, he went to a very esteemed school, got out and could not find a job. And it was very depressing. And we worked through it together and he works for us. And he's he's such such a blessing to our team and he loves what he does. I'm, I'm very, very hopeful for the future, very hopeful. But I would encourage parents to, to look us in the face, not just for your family members, but for yourself, how you can help, what you can do, and I think the whole experience, the adventure can actually be a blessing. It's it's unique, but there are other people that wanna get on board with you, come alongside you, and there are other people that need your experience and help, so I'm glad to help mm-hmm. in any way. But there's plenty of resources probably in, in everyone's area now because we have come so far
0: in the last 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Talk to the parent out there who knows there's something off with their child and deep down in their gut, they say, gee whiz, when I listen to Jennifer talk, I think my child may have it, but they don't wanna broach it. They don't, or they think "Gee was maybe my husband. I've always wondered why he does it. Talk to that person who's embarrassed or hesitant to go into that space And come to grips with it, kind of like, you know, kind of like if, you know, with a young parent with a child who has special needs or or a problem, often they'll say, oh, no, no, they're fine. They're fine. So if you were sitting at a kitchen table and you had a parent like that and you think, gee whiz, you know, I think her kid does have this, but she doesn't want to broach this subject or tell her husband or tell her kid, what would you say to that person?
1: I would say it takes the right timing and the right relationship um, because you never want to hurt another person. But I would say if someone had a disability and they couldn't walk, would you say you didn't want to tell them they needed a wheelchair? Would you tell a diabetic they need to get over it for the insulin? I mean, it's I think it really not the person not knowing actually handicaps them further because inwardly they're thinking, what's wrong with me? Why is life not working? I talked to a gentleman like that a couple of weeks ago that was, didn't want to, didn't want to live and he didn't know what was going on. And I just, at that juncture, I felt comfortable enough to say, do you ever feel that the world doesn't understand you? Do you ever feel like you can't connect with people and they misunderstand your intentions? I said, you know, it's, there's some people in a group, Thomas Edison, Einstein, Jefferson, probably Bill Gates, who knows with, you know, some of the other people we could probably mention. But there's a group of really exceptional people that are misunderstood. And the name that used to be used is Asperger's. It's autism spectrum disorder now. But do you think you could have some of those tendencies that your brain is made a different way, that you have a neurodiversity issue? And the man paused. And then we talked through And he was so grateful. Now, this this is somebody that didn't want to go on. They were so hopeless. They sent out, I think, hundreds of resumes. They didn't have one interview, not one interview. Brilliant person. I connected this person with the Autism Alliance of Michigan and upbound at work. Within several months, they had, this doesn't always happen, I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm saying this is what happened in this case. He got connected with a job, a very challenging job. He is able to work remotely and he got that job and has started work, he is like a whole new person. He said the behavioral therapist at the Autism Alliance that helped him connect how his brain works was more helpful than 20 years of psych- meetings with his psychologist. Getting to the core issue- Sure. Has, has opened up his life. So I think, I think it's crucial that everyone has to make a decision if they're comfortable. It, is, it can be an awkward discussion, But I think it can be the key to unlock their future. I know my son said when we talked through it and everything, he said, I feel so freed that this is who I am. I feel so freed to know why I think this way. And he laughs about it with his coworkers. Mm -hmm. the right employer, too. He works at a place where they focus on neurodiversity and the owner has some neurodiverse um, issues, Tourette's, and they laugh about it. They joke about, you know, not laugh at him, but with. Mm -hmm. If he has something that happens that is odd, Mm -hmm. they're supportive. And so I think that supportive environment, getting to the core issue can change someone's life. So I'm a big proponent of that, but it it can be a a very humbling juncture when you know what's happening in your midst. Um, And I think talking to the doctor, getting other people involved that understand helps with the the whole picture.
0: We only have a couple minutes left, but I want you to talk about, and you kind of touched on it already, about the heart and the mind. If you could take us a, a peek inside the heart of a person on the spectrum, do they A, know how different they are? B, do they want to be quote-unquote normal? And do they live with a lot of shame and depression? Can you speak to that a little bit? Those are big questions. So not being someone in that,
1: but, but- loving people that are in that they are very the the ones i know are very sensitive they're very sensitive people but they can come up being insensitive because they can't understand other people's feelings so i had to come up with um i had a plate i had a paper plate that i wrote boom on and if i was getting feeling like i was overwhelmed and they weren't understanding me and i was losing my patience i would hold up the boom plate so we had we had little little hints and and expressions between us to try to bridge that gap because we did think differently. And I do think that, yes, depression is more common. I think part of that is because they don't feel understood. I think if we could better listen to them and help them and then also give them their space, if we could learn how to dance together better, Um, because neurotypicals aren't easy either. I mean, we're impatient. We want stuff done. We want it, you know, I mean, We're just different people. So I think the whole subject of accepting people where they're at and loving them, you know, where they're at and who they are is important for everybody to learn. Doesn't mean we have to be like them, but we can love them being who they are and then help them on their journey. Yeah, that's how we experienced it, at least in our family. But it is a spectrum. There are people that um, when they go through being on the autism spectrum, they can have more... um, Anger, frustration, violence, there's just a variety of ways. And I have lots of friends who have different situations than I, that I have, but we talk about it and we listen and we're there for each other. And so even though it's a different experience, I think there's a way to comfort and learn and encourage each other through that, that unique journey
0: of autism. At the beginning of the show you said well i'm not an expert and i would say at the end of the show oh yes you are you because you know life experience has caused you to dig deep into this subject and i think there's nobody who digs deeper than someone who's living with another person with an issue that you want to help them with so I thank you for the tremendous amount of work that you have done. And I thank you that you live with so much hope and that you didn't bail because I think the temptation to do that would be so hard, particularly in a culture that says, well, you know, he's not meeting my needs and he's not giving me what I want. I just need something else. Bye bye. But not doing that has given you tremendous amount of joy and peace in your life. So um, I worry you're going to be bombarded with mail. Um, But what would you recommend people do who have listened to us and go, gee whiz, I need some help. I need to start down this path. Where should they go?
1: And I am glad to help anyone and direct them in that way. But yes, where can they go individually? Um, I would take some time for them to deal with their own heart first. Instead of fixing the other person, I would say settle down into your own situation, assess it, grieve it, um, celebrate it, level set your mind of whatever that reality is. I would, of course, pray and ask God to help you because only he knows what's best And I would seek resources from doctors, from counselors, um, so you know where you're at before you hit your family with all this. You know, get a second opinion. Get somebody to verify it. I will say I did have, just so you know, I did even, even have a counselor that said, get a divorce. This is too hard. You can't do this. So I would not take every advice from every doctor or counselor. You have to do what you believe is right. And sometimes people don't see the situation the same as you do. So I would find as much help as you can get and much as much positive help as you can get. Mm -hmm. And then I would look for resources online once you know what you're dealing with and begin the journey of trying to find out how to help your loved ones and yourself. So to balance that, because if we can't Mm -hmm. help ourselves, we're going to burn out. We're not going to be able to help them. So and give yourself a lot of grace, I would say, as As a parent, as a wife of somebody on the spectrum, um, there's still things that I don't know and and challenges I face and places I get to to go, oh, boy, how am I going to get through this? But just to give yourself a lot of grace that these things take time and to celebrate the little victories, celebrate the blessings. Um, Both my sons are employed. I wouldn't trade them for anyone in the world. Um, my marriage is stronger than it's ever been. I have a fabulous marriage and and my husband is my other half and my best supporter and my biggest fan and my lover and all of it. Um, so there is a happy ending. It's it's just not the typical, it's an atypical journey, but it can be a beautiful journey. So thank you for letting me share, Meg, because it reminds me of how much how much has been
0: done in our own family and and God has been so good. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about autism spectrum disorder and my amazing guest is Jennifer Winstoll. And I really appreciate that you we close the show with that, that there can be a happy ending and that there's hope out there. And that, you know, whether you're just beginning your journey down ASD or you've been doing it for 30 years, there will be times when you think, I just can't do this anymore, but hang on because There's always hope and God is the author and perfecter of hope. And he will be with you through this whole journey. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, this wonderful interview. Thank you, Meg. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer Stoll as much as I did. She has so much to teach us. If you have a loved one or have a friend who lives on the spectrum, I strongly encourage you to contact your local autism center so they can get you moving in the right direction. Now on to my points to ponder. One, be willing to understand your loved one's mind. You know, when you think about it, we really can't help anybody that we aren't willing to understand. Trying to understand the mind or the workings of the mind of someone who is neurologically wired very different from you is hard. It takes time. It takes help. It takes patience. But it is completely worth it. So open yourself up to being willing to understand your loved one. Two accept their limitations and gifts. Sadly, many of us focus on the limitations of a loved one on the spectrum because we become easily frustrated with them. It helps them and us a whole lot better when we are willing to begin focusing on their strengths rather than their weaknesses. One of the most difficult parts of loving someone on the spectrum is expecting them to change, to follow through, to give empathy when you need it. So be patient and focus on their gifts rather than criticize their limitations. Three, fill in the gaps. Many on the spectrum can perform very well at certain tasks, but have difficulty with others. So rather than frustrating them and yourself, find ways to fill in the gaps for them. If they're brilliant, but poorly organized, Find someone to help them with organization or do it for them. By filling in the gaps, you free them up to advance in doing what they do really well. I want to thank my guest, Jennifer Winstoll, for joining me on the show today. Jennifer has recommended several great books that deal with this topic that we talked about today. You can find the list of these books in the show notes on my podcast page at meekerparenting.com Just look up my latest interview with Jennifer Winstoll. Also, be sure to follow her on Twitter. Just search for Winstoll on Twitter. That's W-Y-N-N s-t-o-l-l. Also, if you'd like to contact her for more information about autism, you can email her at jwstoll64 at gmail.com. That's j-w-s-t-o-l-l-64 at gmail.com. Now let's recap my points to ponder. First, one, be willing to understand your loved one's mind. Two, accept their limitations and their gifts. And three, fill in the gaps. And remember, friends, go check out my brand new course, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. It's available only online at my website, meekerparenting.com slash strong. If you have a father or a husband or a man in your life who needs encouragement when it comes to fathering, Check out my new course, meekerparenting.com slash strong. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Many of you know that a while back, I wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and it became an international bestseller. Well, I believe that this stemmed from the fact that I revealed a daughter's heart for her dad. It showed every dad what his daughter needs from him. Well, since then, many fathers have written to me and said, well, okay, the book explained what my daughter needs from me, but now what do I do to meet those needs. They wanted very specific steps they could take that would grow them closer to their daughters. Well, I am thrilled to say that now I'm giving dad those answers. In my brand new, hot off the press, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, masterclass. Even if you haven't read the book, the masterclass shows you exactly what you can do to be the dad your daughter needs you to be. And the course is for every dad, whether your daughter is seven or 47, whether you're the CEO of a fortune 500 company or unemployed, it doesn't matter. If you have a daughter, you must take this masterclass. She needs you to. It's made up of 10 different modules covering every topic a father and daughter relationship faces. You can listen to it like a podcast, or you can watch it, and you don't have to watch it all at once. You can watch it for 10 minutes a day or 30. It doesn't matter, whatever time you have. I promise this might be some of the most important and valuable time you've ever spent. To celebrate the launch of this masterclass, we're giving you $30 off. Go to meekerparentingcom slash strong to get your discount. Plus, I'm excited to announce that you'll not only get the $30 discount, you'll also get a special bonus. In June, I'll be doing live chats with other dads you'll be able to join. You can ask any question about the course, or whatever you want. Go to meekerparenting.com slash strong for more info. Your daughter will thank you for it.